Welcome, Disciple Makers, and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy, disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, which identifies six main ministries needed to be a healthy church. The Spark Conference, a total church strengthening event that allows you to access keynotes and breakouts all year long for ongoing training in your ministry area. This year's conference features keynote speakers Fred Luter, Michael Catt, Todd Bolsinger, and Robbie Gallaty, as well as online and in-person regional events. Learn more at www.thesparkconference.com. We also have learning communities across Georgia to sharpen, encourage, and resource leaders personally and professionally. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org discipleship. Don't forget you can find our previous episodes on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. Now let's join today's broadcast or podcast. Welcome to our Georgia Baptist Discipleship family, and my goodness, are you going to be glad that you joined us. We have Clay Scroggins and PJ Dunn today, two leaders who believe in discipleship and have practiced that for decades, and uh, lots of nuggets and wisdom that you're going to hear over the next few minutes. Well, Clay Scroggins graduated as an industrial engineer at Georgia Tech and has spent the last 20 years in the local church. He's a speaker, author, thinker, dad of five, and can play Babylon on, um, by David Gray on his guitar. I still need to see the video <laughs> on that. His doctoral work was on creating online environments for personal growth and currently creates resources full-time for emerging leaders where you can, uh, and you can see that if you go to claysgroggins.com. We also have P.J. Dunn, our discipleship consultant in the North Regions here in Georgia. He's got a passion for single adult disciple making. He is the president and CEO of Table for One Ministries um, as a side gig of our discipleship consultant team. And in addition to being the full time, he's an author, speaker and a content creator. He's an IT specialist, keeps us up and going for this broadcast and a very close friend. And some would say that PJ Dunn is single-handedly responsible for shutting down Georgia in 2020. Um, the facts are that PJ and his family moved here one day and the Georgia shut down the next day. I'm just saying, PJ. It's a true statement. It's a true tra- statement. statement, God. That, that actually happened. Yeah. Hey, Clay, welcome to our Georgia Baptist Discipleship family, Bubba. You, glad to have you here with us. Uh, I'm really, I'm glad to be with you as well. Thanks, Scott. PJ, uh, I want to switch bios with you. That was, that was stellar. <laughs> I love it. I wish I was more technically minded and I wish I had the power to create a global pandemic. Too. That was yeah, I was going to say that, that, that it's the pandemic one that everybody yeah. always puts on the resume. Right? That's Here really cool. That's awesome. No, good to be hey, with both of you. Yeah, well, I want to remind our audience, too, that our team has a stack of resources that we want to give away. So make sure that you leave a comment, share the link, and you'll get entry into today's drawing for a $50 gift card. And Clay just may be gracious enough to send you a copy of his book. Um, His newest one is called The Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future. The one that we'll talk a little bit about today is the How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, uh, one of my favorite second chair books that has made an impact even in my own ministry. And if you do so, you share it, you just may get PJ Dunn to invite you over and get a picture with Gus, his fifth wheel travel trailer that has a personality. Mm. And a Facebook group and a following, like not just a personality, you know, it's, it's, it's out of my hands at this point. Yeah, it's weird and awkward. PJ, kick it off for us, Bubba. 
All right, a couple of facts um, in the workplace, and I'm going to put that in uh, quotations of ministry that I wanted to kick off as we talk to Clay here this morning. So Clay, just a couple of, of facts that we were able to find. Some of these are from Soul uh, Shepherding and other sites, but uh, only a third of workers feel engaged and inspired by their leaders. You know, mm -hmm. and as we're talking about your book today, the, the how to lead when you're not in charge, and we're going to talk about a lot of other topics. I thought that was an interesting statistic in its own uh, category. Uh, but then you throw on 57% of employees quit because of their their boss. So not only are we not inspired, not engaged, but then we're just going to quit because we don't like them. And um, and then we get into the church part of that. So mm. three out of four pastors since 2020, uh, when I came to Georgia and apparently brought uh, COVID, uh, pastors have reported severe levels of stress. So like, you know, 75%, you know, more of these guys are just like having severe levels of stress, which ministry has always been stressful. So they have that on top of that. And then just a couple more. So 40% have intense conflict with a church member. And you pastored for over 20 years, and I'm sure you've had some intense conflict with a church member at times. Um, uh, but they're saying that happens at least once a month. And that rhythm, you know, me being local church for 15 years, Scotsman local church, I mean, once a month to have that kind of an intensity is, is going to weigh it's going to weigh heavy on you. And they're just saying that this is overwhelming. Um, and and then we, we've heard that statistic since we've all uh, gone to seminary that only one out of 10 pastors actually retire as a pastor. So now that we got some of those stats out there, I'm going to kick it to Scott so we can get the conversation rolling. Yeah, it really is, is just great when you think about those statistics, Clay, because you may have experienced this. Um, I wrote this down the other day, just I've been trying to do a lot of self-evaluation coming on what we hope and think is the backside of the pandemic. And, you know, I wrote down personal growth is a treasure, even when pain is your drill sergeant. And it really is a good segue into my first question for you, because I spent three decades local church, all of that second chair. Uh, it's just been the last two and a half years I've been at the convention. And the most obvious question for those of us in that second chair is this, how do leaders lead when you don't really have the authority to do maybe everything you're being asked to do? Any thoughts there? <laughs> I do. I have a lot of thoughts there. I mean, that, that's, what, uh, that's what this book came out of. I worked at uh, North Point Ministries for um, yeah, almost 20 years, uh, Andy Stanley and a number of men and women started North Point in 1995. I started attending in 1998 and then went on staff in 2004. And um, yeah, I mean, that was my that was my professional journey was um, I found myself believing a, a lie, I guess, that I every time I got a, a, a job change, sometimes they were promotions. Um, whenever that happened, I would find it in myself again. And so that's where I would start with people is I would say, well, you got, you got to, I think you got to back out a little bit, whether you're in a senior pastor role or whether you're in some kind of associate role or whether you're an intern at a church, you've got to decide for yourself, how do you see leadership and what do you believe leadership really is? I believe leadership is deeply spiritual. I believe God gave it to us. It's one of our greatest gifts that we have to impact other people and influence other people. And we've got to decide uh, do I have to be the boss to be able to lead? Do I have to be in a position of authority to be able to lead? That's the, that's the lie that I found in myself. I would, mm. I would get a new job. I would have more responsibility and I would think, oh, okay, now I can do what I've always wanted to do. Now I can push my ideas through or make this project happen or create this new program, whatever it may be. And then I would just over and over again, realize, oh, it's not the authority 
that allows us to lead. It's not the position that gives us leadership. There really is something greater. There's something deeper. There's something more profound. And there's something that, uh, gratefully, it it works whether you're in charge or whether you're not. So yeah, uh, that's that, what um, that's what the book uh, is all about. That is really good. Now, so let, let me take a little corollary um, off of what something you just said. There are going to be times when you are in second chair and you're, you've got to do something and maybe you don't agree with what that person above you has asked you to do or a direction there. When do you challenge authority? And have you learned anything, maybe any keys when, when somebody's asking you to do something and you've got to say, hey, well, let me push back just a second. Is there any, like, when do you challenge that? And are, are there any keys to being able to challenge and maintain the relationship? Yeah, that's, um, that is a, a difficult dance. But yes, if you're not challenging, I would say you're not leading. I mean, the, the very essence mm -hmm. of leadership is challenging ideas and challenging systems and challenging new ways of doing things. And so whether you're in charge or not, of course, you you should be challenging. And, and just to encourage people today, if you're waking up today and you feel like, man, I got to have a hard conversation with my boss because I feel like we've been saying that we're going to do it and we haven't done it or mm -hmm. I know I, I feel like I know the new way we ought to or we're trying to get back together. We're trying to restart things. And I have ideas and dreams and hopes about how things should go. And I've got to have a hard conversation about how we're going to do that. Uh, you're not th that's not unusual. You're not there's not something wrong with you. I think that is a sign of leadership. Mm -hmm. If you feel that urge, that burden, uh, the urgency, I would say. Um, I, I'll, I'll use a simple little case study. It's not, I guess, that simple, but it's um, it's not from the church world. But when I was, I, I wrote a, I, I just, I had gotten done with most of the manuscript for this book. This is probably in 2016, and um, I, I had kind of this, a similar thought that you just laid out, Scott. Where I thought, you know what, I my guess is somebody's going to read this and they're going to go, oh no, now I got to have a hard conversation with my boss. Mm. So what, you know, how how can I? help people with that because I've had loads of those as well. And so I wrote a couple chapters on it and I, I sent it to a friend of mine and let him read it. And he sent me back a message and said, Hey, um, I, I like the content, but it's a little dry. Do you have a story that would kind of anchor it? Oh, and wow. so I searched and searched and searched and talked to a few people and ended up bumping into a guy who's become a friend. His name is Shane Todd. Shane's the owner operator or the operator for the Chick-fil-A in uh, Athens, Georgia. And Shane has got a pretty remarkable story about this because he was leading his local Chick-fil-A. You know, we can all, everybody's been to their local Chick-fil-A a number of mm -hmm. times, I'm sure. You can imagine what that might be like. You know, the unique thing about the Chick-fil-A business model is those operators are in, this, in their store every single day in their restaurants every day. Yeah. And so Shane's doing that every day and people are asking for, he said we would get questions about a milkshake uh, almost daily, multiple questions. And he said, this was probably, I think 2010, maybe when this took place. And he said, we had talked about it with the menu strategy team, but they just weren't doing, we didn't feel like they were making it a priority. And we just knew we wanted to delight the customer. We wanted to really serve the customer well. And he said, and so without really, um, you know, getting necessarily permission to be able to do it, we just started making a milkshake. And then he showed me the signs of that he put the little advertisement that he put out front of his local Chick-fil-A. I mean, it's these little, it's those, uh, you know, those moving signs or painting signs that you just stick into the ground or campaign signs. And it just said, you know, now serving milkshakes, chocolate, vanilla, two ninety nine or whatever it was. I mean, it was so, it was kind of janky when he showed me the picture of it. I was like, I cannot believe you did that. I mean, 
Think about it. I mean, this is, it's not as close. I, I would say it's not quite adding to the canon of scripture by adding to the Chick-fil-A menu, but you're getting pretty dang close by doing yeah. that. He's and walking the, way, the line. He's walking a pretty fine line. And the way he did it, the way he challenged his authority, the way he challenged his bosses, he communicated. Uh, he didn't, he wasn't silent about it, but I would say he communicated in some ways like a submarine. He was very strategic about who he communicated and how he communicated about it. He was like, this was not something we could just broadcast everywhere because we knew all yeah. the other stores would be like, well, how does Shane get to serve a milkshake? And, it, yeah. you know, um, he, the, the way he used, he leveraged what was most important to the boss. At that point, Dan Cathy was the CEO and uh, Dan Cathy's big mantra at that point was second mile service, second mile service, second mile service, mm. del delighting the customer. And Shane said, I just knew, you know, for us, this wasn't new that we weren't adding something. This was just taking the ice cream that we already had and mixing it up and adding something to it that would just make, enhance it for the customer. It was yeah. going the second mile for the customer, which I thought was really brilliant that he used what was most important to the boss to challenge up. I think there's something there, but the, um, the, what ended up happening, I mean, obviously that the Chick-fil-A that they sold is, excuse me, the milkshake that Shane and his store sold is not what eventually got rolled out. But, you know, now the milkshake, I think is, I think there've been years where it's been named the number one product on Chick-fil-A's menu, which is saying something for a, an organization that said, we didn't invent the chicken, but we invented the chicken sandwich. Um, yeah. But it's a great, I, I find it to be a great case study on how to challenge your boss, when to do it, how to do it. And, uh, and, and how to do it in a way that really leads to progress. Yeah. And there will be peach milkshakes in heaven. I'm convinced of that. I mean, it might be the only thing there is to drink <laughs> or to eat up there. It might just oh, be it is. It, all day. it is. Well, well PJ. We know, yeah, no, we know that, uh, you know, milkshakes will bring all the Baptists to the yard. So that's just a really great <laughs> marketing thing there. And um, I, I really like the idea of being able to challenge authority and, and, uh, we could probably do a case study between me and Scott because he knows that I like to ask questions um, and I like to be engaged and I like to to challenge. And um, but if it's not in a in a mutual respect, if there's not mm -hmm. like a love and relationship there, it comes across as you're being defensive, you're yeah. being aggressive, or defiant. Yeah, yeah, you're being yeah. defiant. And I'm like, oh, no, I just asked the question. Why did we put that mm -hmm. signboard there? You yeah. know, and it's yeah. just like. And so, so I know that in, in that leadership, that's been hard for me. And, and, um, and so I, I recently uh, reread the, the book. Um, I read it in uh, its, its paperback form um, and in comment in, uh, in our comments right now, if you've read this book or if you're going to buy it right now. Um, but I read it in its paper form about five years ago when it came out. What, I just recently did the audio. So it's been like a, like a podcast with Clay. So you've been in my, my passenger seat for the last couple of weeks, uh, about six hours worth, I think. I think you remember it probably took that long. Um, yeah, that's right. but, uh, but it's really good um, if you haven't done a book on tape and you have time in a car to, to be able to do that. But um, can you just break down those four behaviors that you talk about yeah. in your book for our tribe? Yeah, the, the, the essence of the book is you don't have to have a title. You don't have to have the authority to be able to lead. Leadership's far more than that. It's really about influence. And it's about influence, whether you're in charge or not. It's about influence if you're not the boss, certainly, because that's really all you have. You know, you don't have the ability to go around and say, like, I am the boss, so do it. But even if you are the boss, that style of leadership is dying. It's never really worked, and it's certainly not going to work in the future. So if we're really trying to figure out, well, then how do I cultivate influence? How do I create more influence for myself? Uh, not to get promoted, not to make more money, not to get a bigger job, but to love other people better, to serve other people better, to be able to 
move our church forward, to be able to reach more people for Jesus, whatever your intrinsic motive is, I think there's certainly some really holy motives that we can have in trying to cultivate more influence for ourselves. And so the the book's really four, four behaviors that I knew for me, I had to start adopting with greater intensity and intentionality if I was going to develop or cultivate more influence for myself. The first one that I needed to lead myself, I, I, I knew, look, whether I'm well-led or not, I can always lead myself. I love that little proverb that yeah, a person without any self-control is like a city without walls. Mm-hmm. That our first priority in leadership has got to be, do I have boundaries? Do I have the ability to govern the, 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 this little organization that God has given me? And then, of course, Jesus says, if you're willing to be faithful with a little, then you're proving that you're tr- able to be trusted with more. There's a quote by a guy named Thomas Watson, who was the CEO of IBM in the mid 20th century. He said, nothing so concludes, no, nothing so conclusively proves your ability to lead others as what you do on a day-to-day basis to lead yourself. Hmm. Nothing so conclusively proves your ability to lead others as what you do on a day-to-day basis to lead yourself, which is really, I mean, he's really ripping off what Jesus said, that if you can, if you can lead here, if you can be faithful with this, then you will be entrusted with more. So step one is I got to lead myself really, really well. I've got to choose positivity is the second one. Uh, The attitude you bring is more important than your ideas. It's more important than your education. It's more important than your experience. At your funeral one day, nobody's going to be saying, man, that guy was so educated. He had the best ideas. He was just so smart. No, people are going to say, hey, you know, he brought a lot of energy and he brought it every day. And not enthusiasm, not this extroverted, outgoing Sometimes it's introverted. Sometimes it's a more quiet type of energy, but it's that forward thinking, can do, anything is possible, hope-filled positivity that has the power to change things. I mean, a couple of modern day examples right now, uh, America's crazy over Ted Lasso, and that's one of the qualities that he brings. He's this uber positive character. I would say a real life character, uh, President Zelensky from the Ukraine. I mean, he is just made a massive difference in the world because he's bringing this undying force of will every single day. You know, they're comparing him to Winston Churchill in his moment during World War II, but um, he's a remarkable example of somebody who's choosing that kind of attitude on a daily basis. The third one is to think critically that I would be, be able to, I mean, it's really what you were just referring to, PJ, but that desire to challenge things and to make changes and to have ideas and to dream and to think about how things can be better. That is a skill, you know, it's not leading when we're not in charge is not just about, you know, singing that song from the Lego movie, you know, everything is awesome. (laughs) I mean, it's not just going around going like, oh, best day ever. That was amazing. That was incredible. That was couldn't be better. I mean, it is about bringing this sense of positivity, but it's also about saying, hey, we need to make things better. Let's improve things. Let's connect. Let's notice things and connect things and question things and bring value to what we're working on. And, and that, that is the skill of thinking critically. And of course, the danger is that we'd become critical, which is always dangerous for anybody who's a more analytical type. Um, but you can grow in it. You can be a critical thinker and you can do it in a positive way, whether it's a skill or not. You can grow in it for sure. And then the last one is rejecting passivity, that we wouldn't be men and women who are waiting on our moment to be in charge. I mean, this is one of the hardest parts of not being in charge is 
you know, the, the, the leader, the, 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 the authority figure, the person in charge gets to make the decision. That's the way God created authority, Romans 13, right? That there is a structure there. And when you're the business owner, when you're the CEO of the church, when you're the senior pastor of the church, of course, you're going to be more inclined to think more deeply and to think more consistently about how to make things better. But uh, you don't have to wait to be in charge in order to start doing that. In fact, one of the things we all have to do is reject the passivity that wants to get all inside of you when you're not necessarily in control. And of course, the lie is that when you're the senior pastor, you're not really in control anyway. There's some power brokers and there's still people that you're trying to lead. And uh, either way, we have to reject the passivity that wants to get inside of us when we're not in control. So those are the four big ideas. Lead myself, choose positivity, think critically and reject passivity that at least for me, that's what I need to do on a more consistent basis to try to continue to grow and the influence that it's helping me grow. And, and in that vein, like they, I don't know, for me, like different ones, I, I struggle at different jobs. So working at multiple different environments and different bosses and different situations, nothing's ever the same. So if I were to look at those four and I was to say, okay, which one was the hardest for me and which one's the most important? It's literally changed at every hmm. different place. It's just like, well, I need point. to think more critically, you know, my last, my last uh, ministry where I served, um, you know, I had to reject pa- passivity. Right. And I had to choose positivity, like really, really hard, like on a consistent basis. But when I came here, I remember showing up to our first meeting with with uh, Scott and a couple other guys. And these guys are sharp. They do discipleship every day, all day. And I I throw out some comment and they look at me like, did you learn that in elementary school? Like, good for you. Like, did you? And I'm like, oh, man. Oh, here we go. I got to work harder, you know. And so I I, I probably do the shower thinking thing that you mentioned in the Mm -hmm. book, too, like a lot where I'm like, okay, I got to think deeper. I got to go and get a little bit. So which one, you know, is hardest for you? Which one's most important? And, you know, what's your favorite episode of Seinfeld? Go. (laughs) (laughs) Have you introduced Seinfeld to your eight-year-old, PJ? I have not yet, but I will. Um. I, there's a there's a blog that I found that has like all the episodes ranked in order of um, just how clean they are, how yeah. inappropriate they would be. And so I'm I'm starting from the top, obviously. And uh, my kids, my ten year old, twelve year old, I mean, they have really fallen in love with it. But um, yeah, the I, uh, PJ's referencing. I, I quote Seinfeld a few times in the in the book. But um, that's it. I, I love I love your point that there are seasons of life where you know one of those or a few of those are harder than others. Um, mm. And you're right, as my job changed, but also as the season of life changed, there were some that became harder. I would say for me, choosing positivity early in my career was, uh, that was fairly easier for me. I'm generally a positive person. The longer I was in our organization, the more I felt confident in my own uh, thoughts and ideas and leadership ability and uh, just, just philosophy and model for ministry. I would say the more difficult it was to choose positivity because you start seeing your own vision for man, this is the way I think it ought to be. This is the way I wish it were. And then you start having ideas and plans and systems and processes on how you think we could get there. And then there's, you know, it's just not easy to make that happen. And we're, I'm not always right. You know, that even though I think I am, so the, I would say that the choosing positivity for me, that was actually uh, the, the moment for me of making the decision to resign. That was a big part of it was I was having such a difficult time resetting my positivity 
I was finding myself frustrated about things that were completely outside of my control. You know, there's kind of three buckets. There are things that we have control over. There are things that we have zero control over. And then there are things that we can influence. And most things mm -hmm. fall into that middle bucket. But I was finding myself frustrated about things that I, I had no ability to influence them, change them, affect them. And I was getting real frustrated about those. And that's not anybody else's issue other than mine. That is my own issue. And so I would just say for those of you that are having trouble resetting your positivity, there is of course some soul work that you can do. And I love everything you said, all that data that you gave us at the beginning about how difficult ministry is right now. Uh, there's some rhythms that we can employ in life to help us get to a healthy place. But if you get to a point where you've done all of that and your friends have mentioned it and your spouse has mentioned it, I do think putting on the table, maybe I need to do something different, Wh whether in the church world or not. I think that's a that, that's a worthwhile conversation because sometimes a change of scenery is an important thing. And pastors, you know, I remember when I was in student ministry, the store, you know, it was always like less than two years. No one lasted more than two years. But there are some pastors that have been in their roles for five, 10, 15, 20 years. And there's nothing wrong with a change of scenery. Sometimes our brain needs something different to uh, kind of help us reset that positivity and reset the energy that we know we need to bring on a regular basis. Yeah, that's good. And that the change that happens when there's that change of scenery, it's like my dad said, really, I guess it was probably two weeks ago. He said, sometimes the worst thing is the best thing. You know, that we so in pandemic, we're seeing lots of people resign and retire and with mm -hmm. no succession plan. Uh, and some people being let go, a lot of people being let go. I think the last stat I saw in Georgia was we had 500 churches that don't have a pastor right now. And, um, wow. and, and that idea and what I love about what you've just uploaded there, Clay, on those four big thoughts is you've broken some big concepts into some bite-sized pieces. And for a lot of our leaders, they're not looking for a total revolution of, of everything that they do. They're looking for that quarter twist moment where they, That's can, good. they can make a, a little change that just zeroes them in on the target. So, man, thank you for sharing those four things. Um, now, in your book, you also write this, that great leaders um, lead like they're not in charge, even though they are in mm -hmm. charge. Mm -hmm. And that can, that can really be a, a burning bush moment for a lot of our guys that are in charge. Can you dive into that for just a moment <clears throat> and unpack it? Yeah, um, I use this little story to uh, illustrate that. But when I was, um, I was probably 21 or 22, I was in Atlanta going to school at Georgia Tech. And I was, um, I had this internship in the governor's office in his policy group. It was, it was kind of like a class that you took that you also, the internship is a part of it. And uh, I'll never forget sitting outside. I mean, I was getting copies and making coffee, you know, like interns do. But, you know, one of the great things about a role like that is you, you know, if you're, if you're faithful and if you're not afraid to do some of the dirt, the dirty work, you end up finding yourself in some really interesting rooms. And uh, I, I was I was oftentimes not in the room, but my desk sat right outside of this conference room where they would have a lot of their more contentious debates about policy. And I'll never forget this one particular day. I think they were debating or discussing or really arguing about uh, the education budget for the university system of Georgia. And um, you know, you could hear the voices rising and it was getting very tense. You could just tell even sitting outside of the room. And I, I, I heard, you know, kind of out of nowhere above all these voices, I heard kind of the banging of the table. 
And then I heard this voice that was yelling above everyone going, I, and he said this, he goes, I am the governor of the state of Georgia. Listen to me. And I remember, uh, you know, as a 22 year old, I remember thinking, oh no, something's broken. <laughs> <laughs> I had never read a leadership. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know that I had ever finished a leadership book. That's for sure. I, I, I hadn't been to a leadership conference. I probably, I don't even know what definition I would have given for leadership. But I just knew in that moment something, you know, that feeling inside of you that goes, that's not the way it should be. Mm. I mean, these are people that these people on his cabinet, you know, this was not, you know, like Abraham Lincoln King, you know, team of rivals. I mean, these were people that probably worked on his campaign that helped him get elected. He, you know, they all knew he's the governor, but basically what he's doing in that moment is he's having to rely on his authority. He's having to uh, I like the term uh, wave the gun of authority, you know, mm -hmm. he's having to say, hey, I am in charge, do what I'm telling you to do. And as I mentioned earlier, that is a form of leadership, uh, that command and control style of leadership. I mean, particularly that works in the military. We need it in the, you know, especially when you're in the heat of battle, you know, you, there are moments when you have to say, I mean, it works in sports. You know, there are moments when the coach has to say, shut up and sit down. I'm the coach. This is what we're going to do. But in general, most people that are working at churches or working in business or working in everyday world, they're not going to follow someone that's leading that way long term. They'll do it for a day or a week or a month because we all want to stay employed and we all want a paycheck and we all like living indoors and eating. But long term, people aren't going to follow someone that's leading that way. And so that was kind of the... Uh, that was the big aha moment for me was I was trying to write this book really to encourage people that were in the same seat that I was in stuck in the middle of an organization or in the second chair, as you referenced, Scott. But um, the, the principles are really just as true for the person in charge that if you want to learn how to lead like great leaders do, you learn how to lead through influence, even when you're in charge, even when you have the power, even when you have all the authority. You lead through relationships, you win people over, you lead yourself really well, you choose positivity and think critically and reject passivity, even when you're the boss. And if you can learn how to lead through influence when you're not the boss, you'll be better at leading through influence when you are the boss. But even if you are the boss today and you're trying to think about things new or think about what's the quarter turn I need to make, you know, learning how to lead through influence is um, I, I think it's the key, not just for the people that work for you, but particularly for the people that attend your church. I mean, people, people want to follow someone that's willing to say, Hey, here's the clear vision I'm casting here. are The sacrifices I'm making to get there. And I want to invite you along with the journey. I'm not yeah. going to tell you what you got to do. I'm not going to force you. I can't do it anyway. I mean, everybody's yeah. a volunteer in life. Anyone, any one of us can quit and do something else whenever we want to, especially in this season where the employees have so much power because of the labor shortage but yeah, yeah i think i think the the principles are just as true they're just as true when you're in charge uh, as they are when you're not and what i think is interesting clay is that there seems to be this shadow or smoke or silhouette of authority that a lot of our leaders have because even the lead pastors i talk to a lot of times they say the same things that i wish i had the authority to you know they're the lead pastor so it's almost like even, even no matter what your level of authority or leadership is, it's almost like it's an elusive goal to get to a point where you feel like I finally have all the authority I need. Cause like, there's always somebody over us. 
there, there's always an accountability. There's always boundaries for us. Um, now let's, let's take this one step further here. Cause I also read a part that talks about uh, this concept of like, what does it mean to be shocked when God uses bad leaders to accomplish his will? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, you know, that's the, you know, you, you do, you have these conversations enough, like you all do, you know, everybody's got their thing. I'm sure PJ, when you talk about singles ministry, you know, there's probably like a couple of questions that are the most common ones you get, you know, right out of the gate. And that, that was the most common one that I kept getting over and over again, whenever I would talk about this topic is they would go, you know, raise their hand and go, all right, man, look, this is cool for you. And I'm sure this is all easy when you're working for Andy Stanley, seems like a great leader, seems like a, you know, moral person. But my boss is, you know, basically, you know, akin to one of the worst humans on the planet, or my boss is evil, or my boss is terrible, or my boss has no morality, or my boss is just an awful leader, uh, or, or my boss is just, we have a lot of people that are, that are in the role, but they've already resigned, but they haven't told anyone, right? You know, they've, they've just, they're just apathetic, and they're just kind of coasting. And there's a lot of people working for someone like that. And so that was the, that question I would get over and over again. And I, you know, at first it kind of befuddled me because I thought, no, I mean, Andy Stanley is a, I mean, he's been a massive influence in my life, but um, he's not the easiest person to work for. I mean, he, he demands a lot. Um, He is not a super relational person. So learning how to read him and understand him is really challenging to do at times. Uh, He's been incredibly generous. Uh, to me, and he's been a massive influence in my life, but I never felt like, oh, this is easy, man. This is cake. Like, I got this. Like, it was challenging. So then I had to step back and go, well, then what is it? You know, and I think the truth is, whether you have a good leader or not, the issues are not all that different, that you got to learn how to cultivate influence, whether your boss is a great person or not a great person. And then the other aha moment for me was, yeah, looking throughout scripture and the history of Israel and the history of the New Testament, the history of the way the church began, you think, you know, okay, I guess God only worked when there was a good leader in place. Well, that's mm-hmm. certainly not true. I mean, that's right. maybe like four out of five kings were, you know, it's like, and he was a bad king and he was an evil ruler, you know, like maybe one out of five was pretty good, but every other one was terrible and God was still advancing his kingdom God was still bringing salvation to people. God was still moving things forward. He was still using people to accomplish his purposes in the world. And so the reality that we've got to wait until we have a good leader for God to do something, that's just kind of ridiculous. And, mm-hmm. and, and then thirdly, the, the, the growth, the most growth that all of us will have in life usually happens when we're under a bad boss. And so the idea that, oh, I work for a bad boss and therefore I'm just kind of waiting until I find a better one, uh, that's silly as well. Because, you know, the resistance of a bad boss, you know, if you feel like you're kind of bumping up against this boss that you just don't feel like is helping you or, you know, giving you what you think you need, what you're learning, if you would open up your eyes and open up your ears and open up your heart to see, God, what, what do you want to teach me in this season? What you will learn in that season is so much greater than what you'll learn even by working for a good boss oftentimes because that resistance creates strength. The same reason the weight room works the way it does. The the, the weights are heavy because as yeah. we push through the resistance, we build strength, we build muscle. And the same thing is true with our our character. The same thing is true with our leadership skills, the, with what, what God's trying to develop in us that 
sometimes working for bad bosses is the best way to grow because we have to mm -hmm. find a new way. We have to find a different approach or we have to figure out, okay, well, that's not working. I got to find a different way to do it. Uh, I, you know, this is a dumb example, but that, that silly movie, uh, Tommy Boy with Chris Farley and David Spade, you know, they keep, they keep saying over and over again, they keep running all these obstacles and David Spade's trying to like beat it in his head. Like, don't take no for an answer. Don't take no for an answer. And I think that really is it. I think it's all about going, all right, I'm not going to take no for an answer. If the answer is no, I'm going to reframe it as not yet. And I'm going to find a new way. And that's what great leaders do. And you'll build that resilience more under a bad leader oftentimes than you will with a good leader. And this applies so much, you know, two thirds of our pastors in Georgia are bivocational or single staff. And, yeah. and those, those guys that are watching today that sit in that first chair, but there are no other chairs, um, you know, like this is just as applicable. Everything you're saying when you're, when you're saying it, it's like, well, even if, if you have multiple hats and you're working in multiple areas to be able to, to uh, provide for your family, provide for a life, um, you're still going to have all these same challenges and you're going to have mm -hmm. a boss over here and then a boss over here. But, you know, just because you're the pastor in this, in this context, doesn't mean you're even the boss. And so we're all in that place where relationships, especially when they're foundational on love and loving one another, like a first John four kind of love, like that builds influence. And I think that's been a big, a big thing for me. And I want to share one, one, one example of where I've been really terrible about it, but I want Scott to go first. So Scott, you've been in ministry for a lot of years, local church. Uh, you know, what's your biggest struggle regarding authority? So I would say two things, PJ. Um, and that's really, that's one of those self assessment moments that's really hard to even talk about because um, one of those is value like a person needs to know that they're valued and that they are that they're seen and celebrated for who they are and what they're doing and if that employee no matter what organization or family you're in doesn't feel valued then there's a disconnect and there's a pushing away that that person goes through and as a second chair the the pressures of that lead in our role of the lead pastor is so much and it's so difficult that a lot of times if you have a staff or if you have lay leaders, a lot of times you 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 forget to value them. So that's that's one of those. That's why I love on our church strengthening team here. One of our core values is to be a constant encourager. We mm. talk about it all the time. It's one of our big five because it's got to happen. People have to feel the value. The second one really is associated for me and it's just respect. So <clears throat> that need to be respected in an organization, it's real. Like people want to have the respect when they're in, a, in an, an organization. But I would just give a caution here, Clay, and I don't know if you've experienced this or not or seen this throughout your ministry, but that need for respect can become a deadly and destructive force if it's not sacrificed on the altar of Christ-likeness. Like there is an element of Great. selfishness that you, man, you can just fall slap apart and, and leave a church before you should have, quit before you should have, because I didn't get respect. And I'm just telling you, that's something we as second chair leaders battle. And perhaps that's the toughest lesson that I had to learn is this thing just isn't about me yeah. because I'm the most selfish person that I know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and my, mine is, um, is very similar. It is really hard. You know, Kerry Newhoff talks about this too, right? That it's a, it's a leadership trait to be able to say, where, where do I fail and be able to self-assess? And, and he's yes. talked about that recently. And so, um, and so, I, I mean, in similar vein for, for you, Scott. So uh, being in IT, being in singles, being in education, wearing all these different things, none of them have like this all in authority kind of thing. And I've been that guy on church staff that says, 
You got to use software. It's going to help us reach people like data matters. It's real names. You know, I'm that guy in the room that's, that's pushing it forward. Well, um, I, I was definitely not as savvy as maybe I am now. Um, but at the root of my heart, about five, six years ago, we were in a meeting and, um, and we were talking about why putting notes in on a person was important. And we, we had, we had, I was started nice. You know, we had that great presentation, great smile. Then somebody asked a question and we came back to it. Somebody asked a question they came back to it. So eventually I say the phrase because I said so to this room. And I was so oblivious to saying it that I didn't know I said it. So it was almost three months later that I was doing an eval and my boss said, well, you said this. I said, when? Three months ago. Has everybody hated me for the last three months? Like, I'm a jerk. I can't believe I wow. said that. No one told me. So I went and apologized to multiple people. Like, that's not the way I want to be. But like, when you struggle with authority and you just think, because I can tell you to do it, because mm -hmm. I have the authority, you have to use the <clears> software, <throat> man, it'll make you say ridiculous stuff if your heart's not right with the Lord. So that's my, that's my confession. Hopefully Scott doesn't doesn't fire me uh over, over no absolutely not that's a good story but, pj but but just yeah. very um just a very vulnerable moment there and so clay i, I really want um anything on those kind of issues that you really want yeah. to speak to and then um want to talk about the book too so go well i mean the respect thing scott that was really that 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 was very profound to me um because you're right respect is of course we all want respect you know everybody wants that and i would say they're you know, the, the two sides I feel on it, number one, uh, a better strategy than demanding respect is to be a respectable person mm. and just to go, you know what, I'm going to take all that energy of wanting them to respect me. And I'm just going to, and, and it's what you just talked about, PJ, that, that ability to look in the mirror and go, okay, well, let, let me just, you know, ha have I been trustworthy? Have I been a person that's able to be trusted? I'm going to take all that energy and try to put, put it there. And that, that's been probably the, the most empowering part of this uh the how to leave your non-charge message for me is going instead of all the anger and frustration and stuff going up what if i can take it and allow god to use it to change something in me so can i be what do i need to do to be a more respectable person and then the the other side of the coin is some of you are in a position where or you're in a situation or relationship where you're not being respected and you need to have a conversation about it Maybe you need to go to that person that's in your church or go to that elder and be, you know, as humble as possible to just say, hey, I don't know if this would surprise you to know, but I do not feel respected by you. And I want to be respected by you. So I'm assuming it's something I've done. I'm assuming at some point along the way I did like what PJ said and I said, well, because I said so. and Or maybe it's because you, I haven't done something you thought I was going to do or because I haven't done it the way you want, but I really would love to know what would allow you to respect me. Is there anything I could do that would help grow your respect for me? Because I really do want you to feel like you can trust me and that you respect me. And, you know, God has clearly put me in this position. And for that reason alone, we should follow somebody, but I don't want you to follow me just because I'm the boss. I want you to follow me because you respect me. So would you help me learn, help me understand that? I think that's an important conversation to have. And, um, you know, resentment grows when we don't speak up. Mm. And somebody today sure. is probably feeling something with a church member or with an elder or with maybe somebody on the team. And you just, it, 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 the longer you don't speak up about it, the more resentment is going to continue to grow. And this is maybe a great opportunity for God to grow some courage in you or to God, God to grow some humility in you to be able to say, hey, I, I don't feel respected by you and I, I wanna be, so help me. 
Um, I would say, but to answer your question, PJ, on what, where I have, you know, my greatest failure in this area, um, I mean, there's a, a number of them, uh, which I wrote about in the book, but for the, the one that came to mind first was, I am so guilty of thinking I understand the whole situation. And when I see somebody making a decision that I think is just preposterous or ridiculous, I go into, I get real critical and I get judgmental. And the worst is when you bring those assumptions into the room, into the relationship and you go, well, why did you whatever, whatever, whatever. I mean, I did this during COVID or this is like summer of 2020. I'm working from home, you know, like a lot of people were and, you know, I, we got we got five kids. Our kids are running around. Everyone's loud. I'm like really trying to concentrate, focus in this meeting. And I had let our dog wander around in the morning. We had a puppy and that drives my wife crazy when I do that. And he had ended up, he pooped in one of our kids' rooms. Really? And my wife sends me a text at about like 11 a.m. And she said, did you know that Tater Tot pooped in Cooper's room? Tater Tot's the dog, Cooper's the child. And I said, I did not know that. I'm so sorry. And she responded and she said, I feel so disrespected when you let him roam around the house because I've told you I don't, I don't like that or something like that. And I was like, whoa. Oh. Well, I, I mean, I had like the next hour and a half, I'm still in this meeting, you know, trying to be present, whatever, but I'm stewing, you know, just stewing. And so I come downstairs and I bring all that energy into the kitchen. And she, at one point in the conversation, she was like, you can take all that energy back upstairs because <laughs> that's not helpful down here. And I was like, got it, got it. So I tried to back off, back off. So I started asking questions, you know, I'm like, okay, so tell me about the situation. You found the poop. And she's like, I didn't find the poop. I stepped in the poop. Oh, come on. And I was like, oh no, you stepped in it. She was like, yeah, the lights were off. I was going to get him some clothes because he needed to go somewhere. And I stepped in it. And I was like, oh, my bad. And I, I mean, I backed <laughs> way off because you can find poop, dog poop in the house. That's one thing. Stepping in it is like a whole nother level. And, and I try to let that story be a reminder to me when I roll into something real hot or angry or frustrated or they don't know or how dare they and I can't believe it. Maybe they stepped in poop and, and I didn't know, you know, and if I knew that, then I would have Dude. a different attitude so yeah, that, there, that's there, probably my there's some people that's my uh, there's some people watching right now that have also stepped in some poop i've done it in a staff <laughs> meeting once or twice myself so you know like i do the know what that proverbial poo yeah, the proverbial uh kind so yeah. and i think scott has tater tater uh a dog named tater now too don't you we scott? did we just got a uh long story clay you don't care about but we've been through a really <laughs> difficult season the last eight weeks and uh so we got a party yorkie and um, so my wife decided we're going to call her Tatum, which means that my boys and I call her Tater. And Tater, <laughs> Tater Tot is the affectionate name we call our dog now. That is awesome. I, I mean, we, we, we actually had to, uh, what's the term, rehome our dog because our dog bit um, a couple of people, but bit an Amazon delivery person. Ouch. Um, yeah. And when that happened, that was kind of a hilarious conversation. My wife was like, oh, in a tizzy, but understandably so. She's like, it's enough managing all this stuff with these kids and I don't have time to try to keep this dog from bite. She, and she goes, I'm actually thinking, should I just order less on Amazon? And I was like, I, I, 
you know what? Like, I think let, let's let's we'll we'll solve the dog problem. But I do think we ought to keep, I think we ought to keep that on the table. That option because I think that's yeah. important. Yeah, let's come back to that. So you're you're not having the uh, magical Facebook Reels moment where they go up and they hug the the mailman and oh they love seeing them every day. Not you. You're you're drawing. Not with that. Right. Not with that particular Amazon yeah. worker. But Tell I love the name good. Tater Tot. So tell us, um, as we kind of uh, look look at wrapping it up here in just a little bit, but um, Clay, tell us about the new book. So Inspiring the Leader's Guide to the Future, uh, you're on the moon, uh, conquering it up there. <laughs> Elon probably sent you up there. So tell us a little okay. bit about, you know, why our leaders, our tribe should be interested and in, in what you talk about. Well, it's it's really, uh, the, the hope is that it would be a book for, you know, the next generation, give them some language to articulate what they're feeling about leadership, but also that it would give the next, the you know, maybe the generation that's my age and above that would give them some uh, handles on how to understand the way the world is changing and, and what to do about it. You know, not all, I don't think all of the developments in the way leadership is changing, they're not all bad. I think some of them are good. And then some of them we do need to watch out for, we need to pay attention to. But I started researching the topic about, you know, okay, so leadership is changing, leadership is changing. It was so difficult to find uh any help it, it was it was it was easy to find people saying leadership is changing it was hard to find anyone saying here's how it's changing mm. and that was so important and is so important to me because i want to develop into the kind of leader that the future is going to demand i bet everybody who's watching today wants to do the same thing i mean we don't want to be an, a leader that's calibrated for a world that no longer exists we want to be the kind of pastors the kind of leaders the kind of servants of jesus that know how to do what the apostle paul said you know when he said i have decided i'm going to become all things to all people for the sake that i might win some for jesus and that's what we all want to do but in order to do that we got to hang something up on the wall to say well here's how it's changing here's where it's headed uh wayne gretzky the you know famous hockey player he said, I don't skate to where the puck has been. I skate to where the puck is going mm. and learning how to anticipate how it's changing and then learning how to develop into that kind of leader, I think is, uh, it's essential. It's essential for every single one of us. So the books, uh, the subtitle is nine surprising ways leadership is changing, but it's really a book that's about, Hey, here's my view on how leadership is changing and here's what we can do to begin to develop into or to continue to develop into the kind of leader the future is demanding. That's so good. Well, like this, this discussion is so great because we're discipleship leaders. We are disciple makers. We're leading in our local churches. We're leading in our families. And we just can't do that effectively, Clay, when, um, when we're distracted, when we're um, feeling not valued and, and disrespected and we're not handling that well we're not handling our conversations well so so thanks for all of the nuggets that you have dropped today on this broadcast and just one more thought if people want to get in contact with you if they want to see what you're doing lately because you're in a shift you're moving away from you know that 20 years of what you've been doing local church um, and they want to look at resources where can they find you yeah I mean I, I would say real quickly um, my purpose is as clear as it's ever been. I still feel like God has made it real clear on my life that, hey, I want you, um, whenever there's opportunities to stand in front of people and open up God's word, that that's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, the mission of my life of how I'm going to do that, you know, is, is uh, not necessarily working at a local church full time for now. I don't know who knows where life's going to take us, but we're really enjoying getting to serve a lot of different churches and um, I'm preaching a lot on the weekends and speaking a lot. Yesterday I was with the church staff and 
will be over the next couple of weeks as well. So still doing a lot of that. But yeah, I've got a podcast called How to Lead that uh, is really created for people that are uh, trying to understand how they can lead better. It's real specific issues to leadership. Um, my website, claysgroggins.com, has got uh, some resources and a, uh, a weekly newsletter that I send out with some uh, leadership thoughts and some links to some uh, stuff that's really inspiring me and then some levity, some humor, some hopefully not comedy from me, but things that are making me laugh because I really, um, I feel like we could all use a little levity in life right now. So yes, um, yeah, that, all, all that. And then on social media, you know, I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, yeah. Facebook, Twitter, not, not, I'm, I think I have a TikTok account, but I'm not very active on it. So <laughs> that'd be awesome. Hey, now friends, look, we, let me give you just a closing thought as we land the drone here for a moment. So much of leading in the second chair is about being selfless and drawing our value from who we are uh, in Christ, not from our professional position. Mm -hmm. And I love the way Cooper Cup put it, Super Bowl MVP. He said, I play from victory, not for victory. And that, that comes from knowing who we are as a believer. And for those discipleship leaders, disciple makers, this discussion we've had today is critical for all of us because we tend to make disciples that look like us. So if we don't get this right, we're going to be investing in people and subconsciously creating disciples that don't look like Jesus. They're going to look like us. And that is not healthy. And at the end of the day, uh, this is a great mindset because we serve for the glory of God, not for the gratitude of man. Clay Scroggins, PJ Dunn, thank you for being awesome and investing in our tribe today. Glad to do it. To be Landon here. Melton, John Graham, thanks for producing. And I want to remind our listeners that we're only able to do this because you give to the cooperative program. So thanks for that. And I pray that today's discussion with Clay Scroggins and PJ Dunn will equip and inspire you to make world impacting disciples. Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple makers.